we are responsible for this brand within our properties and how do we bring it to life and how do we think creatively for them is what's really fun. Because it's so fun to work in this business, we're going to win on that tie every time, right? Like we have to win on other things. So we have to make it fun for colleagues. We have to provide flexibility. We want to work for people who are willing and ready to help you learn. For me, that was a big thing is just asking for the opportunity to have a seat in the room. This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com, Brian Clapp. One unheralded aspect of working in the sports industry is that your perspective on the games you love will change. When I first started in the industry as a video editor, cutting game highlights, creating feature stories, after that, I couldn't watch TV the same way. In sitcoms, in dramas, in sports events, whatever it was, I noticed every shot change, every edit, every audio maneuver, every dissolve, and I filed it away. I'd, I'd take notes. I'd pick up on little things I wanted to try, but I watched the games differently. And I laughed this morning when I saw a friend of the pod and friend in real life, Chris Grossi, who is the assistant athletic director for marketing at Penn State, By the way, college sports have the longest titles of all time. Anyway, Chris Grossi shares a photo, and it's, well, it's a meme, and it's a picture of uh, Golden State Warriors Arena Chase Center with t-shirts on every seat in the arena customized for the NBA playoffs. And he shared this meme, and it basically has the picture, and it says, this is what sports fans see. And then he has a list of, but what sports professionals do, and it's a list of 19 things that they had to do in order to execute getting those t-shirts on the chairs before the game. Budgets, design, shipments, opening the boxes, organizing staff, etc. For him, in marketing at Penn State, he looks at the the, uh, t-shirts on the seats and thinks to himself, that's a lot of work. You know, a normal sports fan just sees it like, that's cool, I get a free t-shirt. Your perspective change. Working in sports changes all of that. It's not a bad thing. Just something you need to be prepared for. Today's guest has a similar experience. Molly Werdak-Folt is the VP of Partnership Activation for Illich Sports and Entertainment. That is the ownership group of the Detroit Tigers and the Detroit Red Wings. As the VP of Partnership Activation, she is building relationships with corporate partners who want a piece of the sports action to help grow their brand. So let's give an example to make it all make sense. Let's say Rocket Mortgage wants to get into Major League Baseball advertising. They are a Detroit-based company. It makes sense for them to be on display at Comerica, right? Makes sense. So Molly and her team work to understand the company's goals and then try to develop and execute marketing activations to make the partners really happy. Next thing you know, you've got the Rocket Mortgage main entrance to Comerica, their brand on display for everyone who enters every night. Incredible for brand awareness. When you are in Molly's shoes, when she watches sports, you better believe she's noticing all the different ways other teams carve out marketing activations. How are they using certain spaces and sponsorships in the arena? What creative methods are they employing that we might be able to try and put our own spin on them? It changes the way you observe and watch games because you're seeing it through a different lens. It gets in your blood. You know, the sports thing, the sports business side of it, once you get into it, it gets in your blood and you just start to see things differently. I'm sure coaches, now they see technique more than ever rather than just the game in front of them. Social media experts see what other people are sharing in order to get the message out there, not just the dunk. You know, it's like, it's just, you're looking at things a little bit differently, but that's part of the fun. 
For more insight on what it means to work in partnership activation, let's learn a little something from Molly Word Actful. Hey, Molly, how are you? Thanks so much for joining me today. I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm very excited to be here. Well, these are fun conversations to have because our whole attitude is let's help people trying to get into the industry and try to expose them to what's out there and what the journey's really like. So I think it's interesting. Most people probably don't go to college and say to themselves, I want to work in partnership activation, right? So uh, matter of fact, I'm guessing a lot of people in the audience don't even know what it is. So let's start with the basics a little bit. We'll get into the intricacies of your role. But first off, how did you, how did you get here? What led you here? Why this career path? So I'd say my journey is a little bit um, unconventional. I did not do any undergraduate studies um, pertaining to the sports world, candidly. I was a business psychology major in undergrad at Ohio University, and I always wanted to go on and be an FBI profiler, interestingly enough. Oh my gosh, that's I know, great. I know. I still have sometimes a fleeting you know, thought in the back of my right, la- mind. Like, that maybe I could totally do that. do that. Yeah. <laughs> But I kind of got, I got to my senior year and I don't know what changed in me. I guess maybe it was, you know, a higher calling telling me that maybe that wasn't my path. And so I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew that um, I probably needed to go on and get some more education. So I stayed on and went to get my MBA at Ohio University. And during my first year there, the way that the program works is there are single degree students who are masters of business administration. And then there are also dual degree students. Um, Many people probably listening have heard of Ohio University's Masters of Sports Administration. Um, And so during my first year there, the students that I gravitated to the most were those that were dual degree students. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'd get to the end of a long week and I'd say, what are you guys doing tonight on a Friday night? And they'd say, well, we're going to work the football game. Yeah. I'd say, you're going to work the football game. What do you mean you're going to work the football game? Yeah, what does that mean? What does that mean? (laughs) I've been an athlete all my life. I played Division I lacrosse at Ohio University. So I've always known that there was, you know, something behind sports and what happens on the ice or the field or the court, but I didn't really understand it. And so I started to spend a lot of time with those students, understanding what they were doing on game day. Um, And that sort of opened my eyes to the business side um, of this industry. So I decided, okay, I'm going to stay another year. I was accepted to the MSA program. And that's how I really got my feet wet and started to understand what this business was all about. Shortly um, after graduating from the program, I got my first opportunity with the Miami Dolphins um, to go work in their partnership team. And you know, again, coming into the business, I didn't exactly know what area I wanted to be in, but I really had this uh, strong passion for seeing how brands kind of portray themselves in sports. Uh, And so that's sort of what tipped me off. And, um, you know, from there, I I have had a a number of different roles during my during my tenure, um, from ticketing to community impact to guest relations, um, but the majority of my time has been spent in partnership activation. So that's really cool. So when you think of the sports industry as a whole, we say this all the time, sports is just another big business, right? So, so many of the roles and the things that you do are rooted in business. Did that, did that extra level of education, getting your master's, getting that little extra business experience, this, the sports program at Ohio University, which is world-renowned, 
Did that help you with your ceiling overall, would you say? Like just having that foundation of, of business principles? I think it did. For me personally, um, you know, everybody's journey is different. I think for me, coming straight out of undergrad and being able to learn more about the business, have, to your point, the foundational MBA um, sort of in my tool belt yeah. was really important for me. Now, there's a lot of um, individuals who are who didn't take that path and have had a lot of industry and background knowledge and then come into the MSA program. And they provide a totally different perspective that I really learned from as well and appreciated. Um, but for me personally, I think the journey of getting those two master's right out really helped me and um, I think taught me a lot before I was able to jump right into a real world opportunity. No, that makes perfect sense. So let's talk about your role now. You're the VP of Partnership Activation. What does that mean in not just a day-to-day, -day, but like overarchingly, like what are your main priorities? What are those things you love about the job? What are those activations that you you do and execute? What does that all look like? Yes, this I just have such a strong passion for this type of work. I mean, ultimately what we're responsible for is the brands that spend money with our our teams, our properties, our entities, you know, bringing those brands to life within yeah. whether it's sports or entertainment. And these brands are really trusting me, my team with their marketing dollars at the end of the day. There's lots of places where they can spend their marketing dollars whether it's a straight media buy on television or other sports teams. Um, and so we're really trusted to take care of those dollars and ensure that we're providing a return for those brands based on whatever they're, however they're measuring this partnership. So, um, you know, we have a great opportunity here at Illich Sports and Entertainment because we have so many things at our disposal. We have Little Caesars Arena and the Red Wings, the Comerica Park and the Tigers, the Fox Theater, the District Detroit. So we have a lot of things to offer brands. That's, you know, year-round opportunities, sports, entertainment, whatever it might be. So, um, you know, it, I feel really blessed that brands are, you know, put the trust in us to be able to bring their activations and their marketing opportunities to life. Is that a key part of it is finding that right match for the brand too, based on the different pro properties that you have and those places you can put them and knowing the audience that will be there and how much it aligns? Like, is that a big part of how it all kind of comes together? It definitely is. I mean, nothing that we do is cookie cutter. So, you know, we don't have a, a you know, centralized deck that goes out to every prospect. We really take pride in, in listening to what the partner has to say through a discovery, you know, process that we have here, you know, understanding what their KPIs are, understanding what they're trying to accomplish, who's their core demographic, is there a new group, a new target audience that they're trying to reach, and how do we put together opportunities that serve that up for them? Yeah. I mean, would you consider it a creative role? Are you guys working on the actual presentations in arena, you know, seeing these cool activations out there? Or would you view it more on the partnership, relationship building, communication side? Or is it all? Is it everything? Yeah, I think it's a combination of all of that. Um, you know, at the foundation, we are sellers, right? We're selling our properties. And even though I don't sit on the sales side specifically, I'm still responsible for, you know, driving upsells, helping with renewals, new sales, all of that type of stuff. And we're constantly selling in new programs and opportunities to current partners. But we're also, from the creative standpoint, 
we're also ideating new things that we can bring to brands. You yeah. know, it may be for an upsell, but it may be for a bonus opportunity that we think would be a great fit based on what the brand is trying to accomplish. But at the end of the day, like at the heart of what we do is about relationships. And it's it's servicing these clients through true, meaningful relationships. It's, you know, you get business done through deeper relationships. You can have difficult conversations when things arise, when your relationships are stronger. Um, and so really identifying, you know, those opportunities to connect with partners is beyond just selling them the next sign or, you know, helping them, you know, accomplish their next goal. But how do we really dig deep and form a relationship with these folks? It's interesting. I think that ability to connect and to communicate and even to negotiate respectfully, those are skills. Those are real skills. How did you develop those? Like, how did you get to a point where you feel comfortable dealing with these large brands, communicating with them effectively, negotiating at times, whatever it really takes to build that relationship long term? It doesn't seem to me like everybody has that naturally. And sometimes it's a learned skill as well. How did you get to that point? I definitely think it's a learned skill. I'd say 10 years ago, I didn't have the level of confidence that I have today having some of these tough conversations. Yeah. So it's putting it into practice. It's putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. I also think it's, um, you know, when you're maybe not at the top seat where you have to lead those types of dialogues, asking, you know, sometimes when you're at an entry level position, asking your manager or the SVP to sit in and just hear, how do you handle these types of conversations? How do you handle a difficult conversation? Be a part of a negotiation. You want to work for people who are willing and ready to help you learn. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was a big thing is just asking for the opportunity to have a seat in the room. I may never say anything. I may, may not really be a part of the conversation, but just learning how different people handle dialogue has helped me formulate, okay, I really like this. I maybe that's not my best strategy, but I would, you know, maybe do it this way. Yeah. And that's sort of how I've tried to bring it all together, um, you know, to where I sit today and in, in having some of these conversations. I love that advice. When I get asked, I get asked a lot. And when I speak at colleges and universities or whatever it may be, I get asked a lot, like, what's that thing you look back on earlier in your career that you wish you would have done differently? And I always say, I wish I would have asked more questions mm -hmm. because I was always afraid that if I asked questions, I was sending a signal to everybody else that I wasn't smart enough. I didn't get it. They were better than I was, that they'd look down on me. When in reality, like you just said, one of the best ways to learn is by asking questions. And I think now as a senior member, and, and you probably feel the same way, when you have younger staff who ask good questions, it sends a signal that they care and they want to learn and they want to improve. So it's actually a good thing. Am I right? Yeah, I, it's, I think it's spot on. I, I totally agree. I would much rather have somebody ask, more questions than to sit and be quiet and silent and, and not ask. Um, to your point there, it shows that they're engaged, they're wanting to learn. Um, so I think that's really important. Yeah. I mean, I still mess it up sometimes because I'm afraid of, you let your ego get in the way sometimes of not asking questions. But uh, so how much does um, your life now, like I always find this funny. When I first got into the sports media and I was, editing highlights or I was covering a press conference, I could never watch television the same way because even if I watched Friends, I'd notice the way that they edited something or the way that they did the audio or something like that. Is it the same thing for you in the this world of brand activations and partnership activations where if you watch sports, you're seeing 
the way that other organizations are doing it, or you're just noticing, oh, they do it this way there, or whatever. Is there is there some of that like you just can't separate your mind from the from the business either? You're right. No, yes, a hundred percent. I have a hard time separating. Um, you know, whether I'm taking my kids to a game or I'm you know at a conference and I get a chance to to attend another sports and entertainment opportunity. I am. I'm constantly. I'm walking around venues, just looking at them, seeing how they've brought things together, what their in-game presentation looks like, just to get new and different ideas. Um, so I love that part of it. Um, on the other hand, as I, I mentioned first, you know, when I take my kids to opportunities, I'm also really trying to, to pull some separation where I can. Yeah. And, and that's hard. But um, for me, I'm, I have really started to try to focus. Candidly, it's been a result of COVID and being yeah. home with my kids more is really trying to be present. And, you know, if I'm at the game with my kids, focusing on being at the game with my kids <laughs> and and not focusing on, oh my gosh, I wonder why they did that in-game, you know, presentation. <laughs> yeah. <like>, you know? <laughs> I know. It's so hard to be not like creatively consumed by it. But at the same point, you're right. We have a little um, mission statement on uh, uh, like by our back door as we leave the house. And it says things on there like that, like be present. And like yeah. all these different things that we're trying to get clear to. We did it during COVID too, because we were around our kids so much too. And it was like those little messages you want to continually get through, but not just to them, to yourselves too, right? To really capture yeah. those moments because they are, you know, they go fast. I think it's so important that, you know, our business and our industry continues to set the example that there it's there is okay for for there to be a separation. And, you know, this whole like work-life balance thing, right? Like how do we make sure that people who are coming up in the business know that they can have a family and still yeah. work in this industry, that they can, you know, go and, you know, watch their son's soccer game in the afternoon because they may pick work back up later in the, I don't think that's always been the mentality of this business. And I think that the, that the pandemic has certainly brought that to the forefront and, you know, uh, candidly, I think it's a place where we need to spend more time and be more mindful of how, um, you know, we're respecting colleagues' time. I saw it on your, I was going to ask this too, because I saw it on your email this morning. You have mm -hmm. below your signature. I love this, by the way. It says, my working day may not be your working day. Please do not feel obliged to reply to this email outside of your normal working hours. Now, as a VP at the organization, you establish the culture amongst your team and what the expectations are and the goals are. How powerful is that? Just to send that message and let everybody know, and maybe this happens throughout all of Village, I don't know. But that focus on mental health, that focus on work-life balance, like you said, is not something that exists in our industry. When I was first getting started, and even 10 years ago and five years ago, how important is that to send a message to your team and to the other ancillary people that you're reaching out to, partners, whoever, that there is grace here that doesn't always have to be urgency? Yeah, it, it's really important. Um, I wish I could take credit for the statement. I actually got it from a from a client of mine, a partner of mine who works at General Motors, and that's definitely led by Mary Barr. She leads a lot of that cultural. Um, you know, she really instills the the work life balance into the people that work for General Motors. But it, it's important for me because I'm not the best at separating. Mm -hmm. I'm not the best at when I get home at night putting the phone down and putting it away or not responding to emails at 10 o'clock. And what I want people on my team to know that even though I, I may do that sometimes, 
you don't don't feel the need to do that. Right. Because, you know, when I was coming up in the business, you know, if you got an email at 10 o'clock, I felt the need to respond to that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No matter who it was. And um, I just I don't want the team to feel that way. Right. That this can wait till tomorrow, which is why I have that on there. I try to use delayed send, you know, when things are not immediate and don't need to be at the top of an inbox. Um, But I think it's really important to establish that type of culture because that's candidly the way that the world is now working. And our business and our industry, we have a lot of young folks who can go and work in tech or, you know, do work in all of these other different sectors that allow this type of flexibility. We need to adapt a lot of that in our business. I think that's so true. And I think that's a mentality that I think not enough people have in our industry. So kudos to you. But I do think where sports has always gotten away with this idea of like, yeah, but it's sports. It's cool. Of course you want to work here. I remember the first job that I got when I first started at CNN Sports Illustrated, I was basically going, I was living in Atlanta going backwards every month because I wasn't making enough money and I was working nonstop and I was stressed out as could be and my bills were piling up. And that was my intro to the sports industry. You can understand why people leave, right? And so we have to understand, I think as an industry that we have to do better than just it's sports so it's fun and you want to be here and we can replace you tomorrow if you're not happy. We have to think about the culture. We have to think about that next generation and building them up. And I, I, on, I often don't see enough of that out there as I interview and talk to people. Yeah, it's. Um, I hope that our business is, is shifting to more of a, a culture-based focus and a focus on employees in general. You know, none of us get into this business because of the pay. Let's be honest. You're not gonna. You're not gonna make millions. Oh, you don't. What do you What do you mean? (laughs) But I think where we can win because it's so fun to work in this business, right? We're gonna win on that tie every time, right? Like it's it's fun to be here. We're part of how people spend their discretionary dollars and where people want to be. Like we have to win on other things. So we have to make it fun for colleagues. We have to provide flexibility. Those types of things create an environment that people want to work in. And um, if if we can outshine in those areas, the pay isn't going to be the determining factor all the right. time. It may be sometimes, right. but not every time. Right. No, it's part of being it's part of being the right leadership for our for our organizations, but it's also it's part of like opening it up to people to want to be here. You know, it's like mm-hmm. there's, there's many layers of positive effect it has in building the right culture and bringing in the right people and, and being as diverse as possible, but then also, you know, making them as productive as possible because they're enjoying it. You know, it's not a stress point. It's a, I can make this work and, and enjoy myself, which is a, a hard challenge at times. But um, I want to get into more staffing stuff in a, in a second, yeah. but I also want to, I want to finish up some of our talk on partnership activation and what it means. We talked a little bit about the pandemic, and for two years, you guys didn't have those venues performing the way you know that they would have probably. You didn't have that in-stadium activation get quite the same audience. There wasn't 17,000, 18,000 people showing up a night, or a Tiger Stadium, even more than that. Um, did it force some extra creativity? Did you have to look at new solutions? Did you have to come up with new plans to get value to your partners? What was that period like? Yeah, it was It was an interesting period. Um, so we did. We We lived through, you know, essentially a season and a half of baseball and a, and a full season of, of hockey and having to deliver what we would classify as make good opportunities to our partners. And we did, we had to, we took a very partner first approach to the process. Um, 
we we didn't say call contract on anybody. We knew that we were everybody was in this together, yeah. right? Everybody was going through the same things. And so we took every partner individually and said, listen, you know, here's what we know about your business. Tell us a little bit about what your priorities are and what you are trying to accomplish during this time, right? You know, is it a community outreach effort that's important to them? Just what is it? And we went back and then created essentially new customized partnerships for every partner across both of our properties in that, you know, year and a half that, that we were going through that. And so we tried to make sure that, listen, we need to capture as much revenue as we can, but if it doesn't hit the mark for them or a brand can't spend for a particular reason, we understood that. Yeah. Definitely expedited some of the areas of our business, right? And there's always been this look forward as far as like digital and social is concerned. And the pandemic definitely expedited content right. in those particular areas. Um, I also think it forced, um, not forced in a good way, but forced the leagues, both Major League Baseball and the NHL, to think differently about new partnership assets that could be at our disposal. So for anybody that's, you know, watched baseball or hockey over the last two years, you know, you've seen things like the addition of of the slot logo. So the virtual logo that's just inside the blue lines for hockey, the virtual signage that's behind the batter um, in Major League Baseball, all of those types of things, which still live now, even though we're still in COVID a little bit, right? Um, They are still living on beyond, you know, beyond the pandemic years. Mm And that's great because we need those opportunities to continue to drive revenue. So while it was a challenging time, it forced us to think differently about our business collectively as a team, as well as leagues. And I think there are some good things that came out of that. Yeah, it really kickstarted some innovation, which is which is pretty cool to see. Like, There's certain things that happened during that period of time that you're right, it just sped up the process. It got us there a little bit faster. Maybe it's something that was on our four or five year plan ahead, looking to the future. And now it's like, got to try it now. Let's go do it. Uh, So that's really interesting. I love these conversations. They are what gives me energy. And I have hundreds of other tasks and things I need to take care of a week. I have a team to manage. I have decisions to make. I have all these other things I do, but this gives me incredible joy. What is it for you that you love about this job? This thing that you know, I got to do this today and I love it. I'm excited about this. It's something I really get to dig into. I think two things for me, first and foremost, is just the people that I get to work with every day. I, I, I would not have stayed here. I, you know, I've been at Illich Sports and Entertainment for 14 years. If it weren't for the great people that I get to work with every day, I mean, that's a big thing, especially in partnerships. We rely so heavily on every other department within the organization to get things done. And if that was an uphill battle every day, having to go fight for things, you know, that we need to get accomplished, like, it's a collective team and a collective effort. And, you know, there's this shared and mutual respect amongst departments. And so the people make it worth it every day. And then, you know, external to the organization, I guess the reason why I I love this is the ability to think creatively for brands just day in and day out. Um, You know, it's more, I really look and I've tried to create a culture amongst my activation team. We're not a service team. We don't get contracts and check off boxes to say that we've completed tasks, right, that are in a contract. We are responsible for this brand within our properties and how do we bring it to life and how do we think creatively for them? And so for me, that ability to think creatively about the brand 
on a consistent basis is what's really fun. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, just being able to put on that creative hat and try to figure out a way to really make it pop and shine and stand out. Um, I know you're probably going to give me a across the board, I love them all type answer, but do you, as you look back over 14 years and doing this, do you have any certain activations or any certain things that you guys did creatively that just really stood out to you? Like it was a, a proud moment or, um, and we're not being biased towards any in particular partner, of course. I mean, you love them all. I get that. They're like your kids. I understand. But do you have any, do you have anything that you're like, oh, this was really cool? Yeah, there, there's one. A couple of years ago, we did, um, with our partner Chevrolet, we did a um, bike program for Detroit public school students. So um, we had a couple of schools that we worked with here uh, um, in the Detroit area, and they were elementary um, students who went through, I can't remember exactly how long the bike education program was in school. Let, let's say it was maybe five or six weeks. Okay. And they learned all about bike safety. Yeah. So, you know, wearing your helmet and stopping at stop, line, stop signs and, you know, not wearing earphones so you can hear, you know, your surroundings, all those types of things that come with bike safety, right? right. Not really team or, you know, hockey related. Yeah. But what we did is um, in, in conjunction with Chevrolet, um, Meyer um, and a couple of other partners, we purchased, so I think there were about 700 students who went through this program. Yeah. We purchased bikes for every student that participated in the program. Oh, and story. we brought all of the students, we bust them down to Little Caesars Arena. We did like a full assembly. So they came into the bowl, they sat in the seats. We did like a recap on the safety program. The kids were super excited to be in the arena. And when they were in the arena, we were outside on the exterior setting up these stations by yeah. school. And when the students came out, they thought that they were just going to have lunch at pizza party. Yeah. And um, what they found was when they were assigned to a station that they each had a bike. Oh every God. bike had a bell. Um, every bike had a helmet. And that was their bike, helmet and bell that they could take home with them. And you know, these are students who probably maybe would have never even had access to a bike. Yeah, yeah. And now they've learned all this bike safety and they've walked away with this incredible, you know, bike and helmet. And they learned something which was important. We've exposed them to um, a little bit of hockey as yeah. a part of that. And in turn, we hope that we've made a fan for life. Right. Oh um, and for me, that was just watching these kids faces and how much excitement they had. It was incredible. I'm so glad I asked that question because that is awesome. And frankly, you like those sort of things, that moment will be ingrained in those young kids minds forever. Like those are like yeah. marble events that they will just have in their core memories forever. And to make that kind of an impact. I mean, I really think that is so often the power of sports. We don't get to talk about enough in that you know, that's how we change things. And that's the power that sports can have. It's not just box scores and back cuts. It's like, this is impact. This is real impact. And it's cool that that really stood out to you. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorites for sure. Special moment. My goodness. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about staffing because so many people in our audience are young people trying to figure out their path, how to break in, what, the, what how they're going to stand out, those sort of things. So you're a leader in the organization. You establish culture you build a team, you manage a team, you lead all these different decisions that are making that you're making as an organization. What do you look for? When you're trying to hire a new staff, what are those key components you're looking for? Are you looking for, I need people that can do X, Y, and Z skills? Or are you looking for people that have passion and enthusiasm? Or is it some combination of the both? What do you, how do you approach it? 
I think it's a a little bit of a combination of both. I think for my team specifically, um, the great thing is, is we've got some entry-level jobs. We have some mid-management jobs. We have some director-level jobs. And knowing and understanding the business is certainly a core component of that, but not the one number one most important thing, candidly. Like, I can teach you about partnership activation. You're going to get it just by being within these walls and living it every day. You know, I, I really look for, there are three key things for me. Some of them may be a little cliche, but the number one thing for me is somebody who's a team player. We talked about it before. So much of our business is dependent upon other departments. So being able to help out other departments when they need help with something. Um, You know, for example, we had um, NCAA wrestling here at Little Caesars Arena a couple weeks ago, and we didn't have enough um, guest relations individuals to scan tickets at the door. And I had a couple people on my team who stepped up without being asked and just said, hey, I'll scan tickets, I'll help out. Like to me, that's like, that's a true team player. It's not just about, what are your responsibilities, but you're helping out across the organization. And that's, to me, that's number one. The second one is dependability. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I really try to give our team members a lot of autonomy to make decisions and, and do those types of things, but I need them to be dependable. And when we say X, Y, and Z need to be done, and this is the date we need it done by, you know, we expect it to be done. And, um, and, and I think that's important. And I think people who are dependable, candidly, I think they have got, you know, high, high ceilings within this business, within any business, right? Like everybody wants to know that when they ask you to do something, that it's going to get done and it's going to get done well. Yep. I want people who are going to, who want my job. Those are the types of people that I want on my team. I'm not afraid of the person that's, you know, our coordinator who says, I want to sit in your seat. Great. Let me teach you how to yeah. be in my seat. Because it makes us all better. Because if I walk out the door tomorrow, I better have my team ready to be able to operate, you know, just as if I were here. So um, I think that's, that's you know, kind of goes along with dependability. And then the third, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, is just the ability to be creative and think creatively. You know, all these brands have their own agencies that they work with. And obviously they're very reliant on them to help with, with strategy and marketing efforts and those kinds of things. But being able to think beyond what's in the contract and provide more value to the brands is really important. And again, you don't need to know all the ins and outs about partnership activation, but what did you read in Sports Business Journal last week? A new creative idea that you think might fit well. Mm-hmm. Or what did you see, you know, as you were watching the NCAA tournament over the weekend that was fun and different? Like things that you just naturally absorb by being in our business yeah. that you can bring to the table. I love that. Those are great, great, great responses. And it does make so much sense too that that ability to iterate. I, we We talk on our team a lot too, is like you might see another creative idea out there, but how can we make it our own? Like, how can we get inspired by that and do something else with it? How can we layer on top of it, iterate, and that creative um, freedom, but labeled it, uh, layered in with the team player and, and dependability is is such a cool kind of perspective to come at it from. What about, um, are there certain hidden skills or like, are there certain factors that somebody should say, okay, if I want to get here, these are some, some fundamental skills that I really need to make sure that I have in my in my toolkit. Yeah, I think one is adaptability not only is our world ever changing, but this business is ever changing. And 
you have to be able to to adapt on the fly. Um, I think people who are sort of stuck in the ways and have a hard time being flexible as change occurs are candidly going to struggle in this business because it's such an evolution all the time. So I think being adaptable. And I think the second one would be people who can prioritize really well, specifically in in the partnership activation side of the business. I know our team members, they manage about 20 accounts and they can be anywhere from a $50,000 deal up to a multi-million dollar deal. And how do you prioritize Mm -hmm. what, what emails need to be responded to first, what projects needed to be need to be done first. And it's not always the multi-million dollar partner who wins out, right? There may be a re- one reason or another why something else needs to be prioritized, but understanding what does need to be prioritized and then obviously communicating effectively through that process, I think is 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 a skill that maybe is underrated, but is really important. No, no, totally agree. I'm I'm right where they're aligned with you on that one. We'll finish up with this. I'm so respectful of your time and I'm so appreciative of your time, I should say. Um, we've we've actually, to let everybody in behind the scenes a little bit, we had, this is the third time we scheduled this interview <laughs> and twice I had to cancel on Molly because of my own strange things happening in my life. So I'm just so appreciative of you making the time and carving this out and and not just ghosting me after after I had to cancel no, twice on never. you. <laughs> so I, I'm really appreciative because I've loved this conversation. But now let's think to the future. What is that next wave? What is that thing that gets you excited about? What, what, what do you see the future of partnership activation looking like? Are there other ways of getting, I mean, we talk in content all the time about AI and, you know, NFTs and NIL, all these different things going on. What, what excites you in your world and where are we headed? I, uh, candidly, I think there's there's so much out there to be excited about. You talked about the shift to digital and whether that is through augmented reality or virtual reality or whatever that might be. So how can we think differently about brands in the digital world, um, in the social world, all of those things that have been expedited as a part of COVID? Um, I think the the emphasis and the focus on social responsibility. Mm. So I think as we we think about, and this will get into my my next uh, comment about marketing to Gen Z and, and the alpha generation, right? Is they're going to hold us accountable as organizations and making sure that we are really putting our money where our mouth is. And partners want to be a part of that social responsibility, the community impact responsibility. And so I think. And we saw it a little bit during COVID, but I think that even more, there is now going to be an emphasis on that social responsibility, doing the right thing, making sure that it isn't just a statement that clubs are putting out, but that there is action behind those statements. And I think our fans are going to continue to hold us accountable for that. I love that. I think that's great. I I agree. And then I guess along those same lines, as we think about our business and marketing to the next generation of fans you know, that Gen Z, that Gen Alpha, and the way that they consume sports is so different, right? Mm -hmm. I read a statistic the other day that said by 2030, those two groups will account for 45% of the working population. Wow. The purchasing power is huge, right? Mm -hmm. So as we think about brands and our partners marketing to them, as we think about how the Red Wings, the Tigers, whomever, the New York Yankees, market to that next set of generations is really, really important. And to me, trying to learn and understand how their mind ticks, 
how they like to be met where they are, right? They want right. to be met here. For those listening, she pointed to her phone. Like, how do we shift the way that we're thinking and how do we deliver for them? So thinking about, and it's all of that comes with things like NFTs and yes. cryptocurrencies and all that stuff. I think there's just so much to look forward to and be excited about. It is. It's so cool. I think of the way consumption's changed too. It's like as a as a content creator, and I started out working in the traditional sports media where we created a show at eleven o'clock that had all the highlights. Like nobody turns into that anymore. That's not what people. That's not how we operate. So like right. audiences are completely changing. Consumer demand is completely changing. The way people go to games and what they expect is completely changing. Like I would think that would be a lot of fun too on the creative side to be able to really dig into that. What is that next layer of how we approach this audience and knowing that that's a core demographic. I mean, 45% by 2030, that's, that's pretty huge. Wow. It's huge, isn't it? I was yeah. shocked when I read that. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it's fun, I would think, from a creative standpoint, too, that you get to be on the, the front lines of some of those decisions. I think it's really cool. Yeah. Molly, thank you so much for coming on. I learned a lot about all of this, all of partnership activation, but also just more of your inspiration and your leadership style. It's really cool. So thank you for sharing. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Brian. I really appreciate it. So great talking to Molly. I'm so thankful for having her on the show. She just has a great energy about her, and I love her vision for the relationship building side of things, for developing the staff, for really working creatively with you know, the partners that they want to work with, but also understanding there's a business aspect to it as well. It's not just creative. You know, there's, there's deadlines and there's certain budget things you have to hit and there's certain executables. And, and, and it's just a, I think partnership activation is one of those nice mixes of business and creative. So if that's you, that's a career path worth considering. Thanks again to Molly for coming on. Really appreciate her and all of you for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. We love to have you here. We want to continue to grow, and you are essential for that. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you on Monday. 